Church, you can go ahead and have a seat. Let's, let's pray to our great God together. Lord, that, that is our hope, that we have your joy for every single person here, watching online, every person whose story intersects with your incredible story this evening and throughout their lives. God, that you would bless us with joy in our souls. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray all these things. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas and welcome everybody. My name is Dirk Lee, pastor here at Encounter Church. And, uh, and this evening I want to start off with uh, just kind of an observation that it's, it's amazing to me how every single person across the world, regardless of different uh, beliefs about spirituality, religion, uh, any kind of convictions, any stage of life, it's amazing to me how we all have this kind of insatiable desire to make meaning out of life, to make meaning out of the events that take place in our lives. These seemingly kind of random or chaotic or meaningless events, we, we all have like this insatiable desire to try to like sort it, to try to figure it out, to try to step back and take a look at the bigger picture. If we took a look at our lives kind of like this Christmas tree behind me, I think a lot of us, what we do is, is to try to like sort through some of the ornaments on the Christmas tree and to try to like make it look good. In fact, when we tell our stories, isn't it true that we often use some language, uh, key phrases that sort of betray how each one of us wants to make meaning and to make sense out of some of the random or chaotic things in our lives. Uh, you say things like, I went away to college or, or school and I, and I found the one that was out there for me. We fell in love. We got married started a career, got a promotion, and then when we knew it was time, it was time to expand our family and move from two to three or, or maybe four or even five, right? We use these, these phrases like the one and it was time because we're trying on the Christmas tree of our lives to like sort it out and to put all of the, the meaning around it. Uh, some of us, we even use phrases, and again, regardless of your belief, we say things like everything happens for a reason, or I guess it just wasn't meant to be, assuming that there's a plan out there for all of us. And we're just trying to figure out like what that plan is for me. And this Christmas, what we're doing is going to take an honest look at what's really inside of that plan. And, and what I like to do is to, is to take a, a look at some of the events that take place in our lives. It doesn't really feel like it belongs on a well-decorated Christmas tree. In fact, if we could, we, we'd probably pass on this one altogether because it just, it doesn't, it's ornaments that don't feel like they fit. Like when you were a kid, and some of you, this is your story, your parents sat you down and they said, listen, kiddo, we love you to death. We are madly in love with you. It's just that we're not so much in love with each other anymore. And so as a kid, and then even maybe as an adult, you kind of look back and you're like, where does that ornament of divorce go? Like, how do I make sense? How do I make meaning out of all of that? And it looks like it just doesn't really fit into the, the tree of your life. I think for, for some of us, I get to talk to a, a number of people who are struggling to figure out what in the world they were put on this planet for. And in your 20s and, and even on into your 30s, I, I talk to enough people and they're like, you know, I'm still, I'm still figuring out. But eventually you start to ask these tough questions of, do I have this purpose in life? Why haven't I found it yet? 
And people come along and they say things like, well, just follow your passion. And you're like, what does that even mean? My passions don't pay the bills. Or I don't have a passion. You know, find something that you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And you're like, I don't think that's true. (laughs) And here I am still trying to kind of make sense of it all. And it just doesn't look like the job thing is really even coming together. And you're like, how does that fit? It's been so long. And I don't know how to make sense out of the ornaments in my life. Um, this time of year highlights and accentuates, I think kind of like underlines some of the loss that we might be experiencing. Uh, Maybe this year, looking back, you lost a parent, maybe a grandparent, somebody close to you. I think that there's a lot of people in the room who would tell stories of other kinds of losses. Uh, Best friends, that you just sort of assume that you would be in each other's life forever. And then they announce that they're moving thousands of miles away. What do you do with that? Where you make a plan, of course. You know, we're going to follow each other on social media. We'll text all the time. We'll make plans to to visit when we're able. And you make these promises like nothing is going to change. But you know that everything is going to change. And you're decorating the tree as the losses more or less build up. And you can kind of go through the year. And you can probably identify some of these things, some of these random or chaotic events that you're like, it doesn't belong in a well-decorated tree. Some of you have close people in your lives, maybe a spouse, maybe a best friend, who's been on this like kind of faith deconstruction journey of trying to figure out like, what is it that I believe and why do I believe it? And you've watched as people's faith just kind of got eroded out from under them. And maybe it wasn't even for all that good of reasons. It didn't have anything to do with Jesus at all. It had to do with how church people oftentimes kind of hurt each other, if we're honest, because we're broken and sinful people, every single one of us. And you're watching as the, as the tree of your life is getting decorated with all of these ornaments that just seem like they don't belong. And when things like that happen, we, we reach into our like purpose pile. We, we reach into whatever language that we have to describe this. And we say, everything happens a reason for a reason. And you're like, well, how about that? <laughs> I was a little on the nose. <laughs> and you notice how like people, like human beings, are the only creatures on the planet who do this kind of thing? Right, like um, a couple years ago, uh, I had a pet rabbit, and I I don't like to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. We're not going to talk about the rabbit tonight. But what this thing did all the time was just go from like the couch to the corner of the house and take naps, and then like back to the couch. Every once in a while, I'd go in its cage where it was supposed to go and sleep in there for a little while, and it didn't do that nearly enough, which is kind of why I don't have a rabbit anymore, if I'm going to be honest with you. But like it would go from like nap to nap and nap, and and what I'm... uh, what I know that the rabbit didn't do is say, like, I, I wonder, I wonder how the one nap is connected to the other nap, right? Like, the rabbits don't kind of go through their little rabbit life and think, how is it all going to tie together so that I get to the end of my life, which statistically, if you didn't know, is about a year and a half out in the wild because rabbits really only do one thing well. Not going to talk about the rabbits anymore, though. <laughs> you have a pet. You have a cat, you have a dog, you have something that sleeps around the house all the time. And what creatures don't do is to try to figure out at the end of their life and wonder how all these naps are somehow interconnected. They don't do that. Human beings are the only ones who do that. And you guys, if you are here tonight and you are a believer and you are a Christian, you have language to describe this. 
You have phrases. You have an understanding because you know that that, that that insatiable desire to try to make meaning and make sense out of the word, out of the world is actually the thumbprint of God on your life. It's the image of God. You as a junior partner with God to try to make sense out of what he is doing and decorating this tree of your life in his world. And so what I'd like to do this evening is just to open up the Christmas story and to see how God makes sense out of even Christmas. Because this story, I think, maybe better than just about any story, is a story that shouldn't make a world of sense at all. But what God does with it, I think you're going to leave here tonight and you're going to have a little bit more sense of what God is going to do, not just with the world, but with your world. So if I could, um, read this story from Luke chapter 1. And as I read this story in Luke chapter 1, if you'd like to follow along and, uh, on a Bible, on your, on your phone, that's going to be great. The words are going to be on the screen, but just, I want you to hear the story as we make a couple comments on it along the way. Uh, Luke 1, starting off in verse 26, it says this, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, and immediately right there, it's just almost as a side note, but the level of specificity, like the level of detail in the biblical story is just incredible to me. Right? Because some, some of you were told maybe growing up, like, you know, you should believe the Bible. Why? Because the Bible says that it should be believed. And you're like, I don't know. I don't know if that sort of makes, any, makes sense anymore. But, but once you open up the Gospels, particularly the Gospel, the Jesus story, according to Luke, you see the level of specificity, the level of detail involved in here. It's because Luke knew he wasn't writing a fairy tale. He was writing around a historical event that took place. And he wanted every single person, including us, to, to realize that. And to be drawn into this true story that happened. And so he includes all of these details. This isn't long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away. This isn't once upon a time. This isn't fairy tale land. This is an event that took place in space and time about 2,000 years ago. Luke says in his introduction a few verses earlier, take a look and read the Bible on your own. And, you know, starting off in Luke chapter 1 sometime. It's really great. Highly recommended. But take a look in Luke chapter 1. You'll, you'll see phrases like, I interviewed the eyewitnesses. I wanted to give an orderly account of everything that took place. I did a careful investigation of these events. Again, it's not fairy tale world. It's surrounded around events. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now when we hear the virgin's name was Mary, when we hear that word Mary, and we're like, oh, it's... It's Mary. But remember, when we're dropping into the story, it's not like Mary. It's just, it's just Mary. <laughs> it's just like regular old Mary, right? We think of Mary, and it's like, oh, man, the, the one who inspired the cathedrals to build and countless books to be written. Mary, the one who inspired people in the Catholic Church in particular to, to go off and like tell people about Jesus. Mary, the one who saw people give their lives to get this story to the next generation, the next generation, that kind of Mary. But when we drop in on her here, she's just Mary. She's just, a, she's an average teenage girl. She's pledged to be married, so she's probably thinking about that. She's probably like practicing writing her name in cursive, her new married name, trying to figure out how to like get a little heart in one of the letters. She doesn't have an eye, so that's tough. She's keeping a little dream journal, you know, about what her, what her wedding is going to look like when it's coming up real soon. And she's like, I'm thinking it's going to be farmhouse chic. It's going to be great. No idea how important barns were going to 
play in this whole world. But I think, I think as an average girl, what, what she probably had in mind is, I'm going to get married and I'm going to have babies. And those babies are going to have babies. And I, when, I, when I've lived up my whole life, I'm going to slip away and I'm going to slip off the pages of history and I'm going to be forgotten about because nothing all that interesting happens in this dusty little town of Nazareth. And God chose this moment and this time to dip down into the world and to show his greatest level of involvement yet. The angel went to her and she said, went to her and said, greetings you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was understandably greatly troubled at his words. She's trying to figure out whether this is like the good witch or the bad witch. And she wondered what kind of greeting this uh, might be. The angel later says to her, you know, do, do not be afraid. Why? Because she is terrified at what's going to happen. The angel goes on to say, Mary, okay, here's the deal. You're going to conceive. You're going to give birth to a son. You're to name him Jesus because he's going to save the people, save us people from our sins. Mary, are you writing this down? You should get a pen. This is very important stuff. Jesus, save people from their sins. And he is going to rule and he is going to reign. He's going to initiate a kingdom that will never end. Which for her, I got to believe if she's highly favored by God, she paid attention in geography class, world history class a little bit earlier. And I got to believe like she's putting these things together and going, I'm going to have a baby whose, whose kingdom is never going to end. You recognize we're in this nation right now. We're in Israel and we haven't, we haven't led ourselves in over 500 years yet. Somehow my kid is going to lead a nation that's never going to end. Come on. And so in verse 34, she asked the relevant next question, how can this be? Mary asked the angel. And she gets kind of specific on it. How can this be since I'm a virgin? And it's getting a little tense. And it's got potential for awkwardness. Verse 35, the angel answered, without any more details, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Don't forget, Mary, that even though all of these things are happening, and even though you're called highly favored by God, not once but twice, Mary, the story isn't about you. The story is about him. The story is about Jesus. The story is about the one who's going to save the world. So the holy one to be born will be called the son of God. And regardless of what, what you believe, regardless of like your, your core convictions here tonight, you know, whatever, whatever kind of journey you want, if I could just like play a little game here to see if the angel was right. Because you know, the prediction of the angel, objectively, in this document that was written right around 2,000 years ago, the prediction is that there's going to be people gathered, and the name of Jesus is going to be associated with the Son of God. So I just kind of want to ask the question, how many of you here tonight have heard of the name associated Jesus with the Son of God, regardless of whether or not you believe it? Put your hands up. That is amazing. Like, I don't think we spend time and just think about this, that the angel called that, that Luke wrote that story down 2,000 years from now. People are going to associate the name of Jesus with the Son of God, and we're all like, yes, it came, at least that part came precisely true. And then in verse 36, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word of God will ever fail. 
and you see this certainty come through. No word of God is ever going to fail. Historically, what, what happens when Gabriel, the angel, breaks into Mary's life in that moment, it, 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 it broke something else as well. Theologians call it uh, right around 400 years of silence. You see, there was an Old Testament where, where God was speaking to his people through the prophets. They would speak on behalf of God. And this happened with, uh, with, with regularity, not always bringing the best news, but at least it was news. God was speaking to the people consistently. And then the Old Testament ends in the book of Malachi. And then there's 400 years of nothing. And the silence, you could say, was broken with the cry of a baby. But here... We understand the silence was broken by God sending Gabriel to Mary. But the thing was, even though God was silent towards his people during that time, the world very much was not. And so the promise was that this child would have a kingdom that would never end. But they had experienced so many other kingdoms already. World history kind of demonstrates and rolls out that the Babylonians came through. And, and if you were born in the Babylonian Empire, chances are you probably thought that was a kingdom that would never end. And then the Persians came along and displaced the Babylonians. And again, you probably thought this is the kingdom that would never end until Alexander the Great with the Greeks and then the Romans displaced them. And if you were like Mary or anybody else born in any one of these kingdoms, you would just sort of assume that this is the kingdom that would never end. But they all would. And you kind of like look back on history and there's a way to like review this and there's a way to see it as just a bunch of random events. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. That's just what they do. And God is saying, no, 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 no. It's not random. I'm watching and I'm waiting for the right time, the appointed time. All of that is the plans of human beings. This is the will of God. Those kingdoms were just kind of setting the stage, decorating the tree. For the right moment for me to break in. But remember, Mary, Mary didn't know any of this sort of stuff. When the angel leaves her, her life went back to normal. Probably her life went back to subnormal. Because now she's pregnant and she's got to explain that one. Somebody said, uh, now she's pregnant and she has to explain it to her mom and her math teacher. The angel gave Joseph a heads up, which is super helpful. Didn't do that for her mom. How do you explain that one? You know, the, the angel comes to her and, and gives her some more news, um, bad news and worse news. Like the, the bad news is Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census is supposed to be taken. And you're like, don't know him, don't really care, not really relevant to the Mary story and the angel. Yeah, except for everybody has to go to their hometown to register and you're getting married to Joseph. His hometown is in Bethlehem, so you've got a little road trip ahead of you. So the bad news is that the new emperor wants to figure out how much he can get out of taxes from the people. And because of that, you now have to take a road trip to Bethlehem is the bad news. The worst news is it's 120 miles away. You're in the third trimester of pregnancy and you're going to do this trip on the back of a donkey. It's not great. Little Miss highly favored of God. And she's like, maybe pick somebody else to be favorite next time. But that wasn't the worst news of all. Because little miss favored of God had to watch and hear the stories that rolled out soon after Jesus was born. 
you know, Gabriel warned Mary and Joseph to flee, to run out of there. Because even though Jesus was born as the new kingdom, whose kingdom would, as the king of the new kingdom, whose kingdom would never fade, there was another king at the time and the place who was small, who was petty, who was spiteful and filled with rage, Herod. And he would issue the order that every baby boy and probably some baby girls just thrown in for good measure would have to be executed, would have to be killed. And it's this moment that has the capacity to like suck all of the romance and all of the quiet holiness out of the moment of the Christmas story. But it's part of the story. And so Mary has to run away. So Mary has to flee. And I just can't help but wonder if Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus are hiding away in Egypt and they're looking at the Christmas tree of their life and the ornaments that are decorated on it. And she's wondering why Gabriel warned me and not all of them. Why Gabriel didn't go to them or why Gabriel didn't go to Herod himself, convince him otherwise, do away with him. How does that fit on a good Christmas tree. And how does it fit that around 30 years later when Jesus was now a grown man, Mary had to do probably the worst thing a mother could ever do is to listen in a courtyard as they beat her son to an inch of his life and watched as they put nails in his hands and his feet, stripped him naked, and killed him. Everybody else fled, everybody else ran away. She stayed put. She endured to the end. And again, she's looking at the Christmas tree of her life, and in that moment, she's going, why? How is this ever going to fit? We are people that can't seem to shake, trying to make meaning and make purpose out of it. Out of everything in this world, how do you make meaning? How do you make purpose? Out of losing your son. But for three days later, because at that exact moment, when it looked to all the world like God himself had absolutely lost control, he had that moment exactly, precisely in his crosshairs of saying, I am demonstrating now more clearly than ever before just how in control I am because I took that ugly ornament, I took that jagged piece that we just assumed would never fit in any nicely decorated tree of our lives and he made it the cornerstone. He made it the defining piece, his death and subsequent resurrection of the the tree that would tie everything else back together. It was in that moment of extreme loss that God won And we gain eternal life. I don't know what you've been handed recently. I'm guessing in the last two or three weeks, you could probably look back, or two or three months, and you could find some ornaments that don't fit in your life. I'm guessing there's going to be some things, some events that have taken place or will take place, and you're going, I don't get it. I don't get why marriage has to be this difficult. I don't get why my kid can't seem to get it together and make good choices. I thought they'd grow out of it and they just grew into more. Like, there's going to be these unexpected ornaments that you are dealt in life and you're gonna do the thing that every human being everywhere does and try to make meaning out of it. It's like a pebble in your shoe or a voice in your head you just can't seem to shake. How does it all fit together? And I just want you to know, on Christmas... We know 
God fits everyone together. On Christmas, we recognize that God is a God who makes sense out of it all. Mary responded with these incredibly courageous words. She said in verse 38, words for all of us, she said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left. I am the Lord's servant. It's a short phrase. I think it's a phrase for each one of us that demonstrates, that demonstrates what faith really is, what faith is about. Because sometimes some of us have grown up maybe in some systems or cultures. Maybe we've, maybe we've gotten a sense of what faith is. And it looks sometimes like faith is the lever that we use to kind of like force God to do our bidding on our behalf. Like, it, like we can faith God into, into moving. Right? Like perfect faith looks like faith that moves the heart of God. And what we see in Mary is exactly the opposite. We see Mary demonstrating this perfect faith. Not a perfect faith that moves the heart of God. It's perfect faith that moves us to trust God when it looks like the tree of our lives is just not pulling together. And she says, I am the Lord's servant. What she's essentially saying in those moments is, listen, God, I don't have to know where all the ornaments fit together in my life. You might not share that with me, but what I do know, God, is that I know that all of the ornaments in my life are going to fit together. As you leave here today and as you are handed something that just doesn't fit in your perfect plan, I want you to know he still has a plan for you. I want you to know he does have a good design for you. And may we be a people that is humble enough on the quiet of Christmas Eve to say, I in the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your good and perfect will. Listen, if you're not sure about all this and you want to you figure it out, if you want to figure it out in community, we say around here that sometimes circles are better than rows. And if you want to find a circle, we would love to do that with you. We'd love to journey down that road with you. I would love to journey with you. Find me afterwards. Let's start this conversation today. But right now, I just want you to know, you might not know the plan, but he is worth knowing. God is worth knowing. And I just want to simply encourage you, my hope for you, is that you would simply continue on this journey of getting to know him. He is so worth it. Let's pray to that, God, this Christmas Eve. I want to invite you to stand up and let's pray. Jesus, you are more than worth it, Lord. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for this love that you have for us, that you loved us to death and back again to new life. Jesus, thank you for not being content to simply shout your love from heaven, but to show your love here on earth by stepping down, by dipping into the world that you made, to show your level of deep involvement with us. God, sometimes events in our lives, they don't seem to make sense. But God, you're making sense out of everything and even more. 
may we courageously follow after you and say, I am the Lord's servant. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Church, we're going to uh, participate in a little tradition that we have around here at Encounter. It's, uh, it's called a, a candlelight service. And if you're new to Encounter or uh, to church in general, we're going to let the light kind of spread throughout the, throughout the room. And uh, I don't want you to miss the symbolism because it isn't just a quaint thing that we're doing, lighting candles. Is that the light of the world, Jesus, our hope from heaven, has stepped into the world. And that light, your light, represents in a small way that he's in you. You're carrying him. And that light is radiating out, shining out in the darkness, and the darkness will never overcome it. And we can see that light brightest, I think, on this holy night. Let's worship together.